Welcome to Governmental Astrology. I'm Linda Rowe. Today is May 14th, 2020, and today is the day that Jupiter goes retrograde. First, I'd like to say a few philosophical words. How does one best approach these types of transits? In the last episode, I spoke of Saturn going retrograde, Venus going retrograde, and now Jupiter going retrograde. And the truth is that all of these are underpinning the larger transit, which is the Pluto-Saturn conjunction that hit direct on January 12th. So you don't really have to do anything. You can sit in your kitchen and bake. You can bake whatever you want to bake. You can clean everything you want to clean. You can worry your way through this Pluto transit as well. And that's really the meaning of resistance is futile. It's happening whether you do anything or not. And if you're breathing, you're, you're breathing through the transformation. and That's pretty much all you have to do. However, you can make this transit a whole lot more difficult. And I suppose that's one reason I'm doing this podcast. Knowing that I was in a big transit helped me out when, I, when, my, when Pluto hit my sun a little over 10 years ago. I'm not sure I would have made it through the Pluto transit if I hadn't known that it was happening, number one, and that it would be over one day, number two. I keep hearing people say, we'll never be back to normal. Well, we will indeed be back to normal. This transit will finish one day, and it is true. We'll all be different at the end of it. We'll all be much different from the way we were when we went into the transit, but you don't actually have to do anything right now. Just participate in your life. When I say we'll all be back to normal, I mean there will be good times ahead. At the same time that you can make the transit difficult, you can make this transit easier, and you can reach deeper levels of transformation if you participate at a deeper level. The Pluto energy is around and we've got so much of it happening and really it's all here to help us. Um, We know that the way that our society was, we know it needed to change. I don't see that we knew how it was going to change, but we knew that it needed to change. And so here we are in the midst of change. And there are possibilities here, but if you want, you can just breathe your way through this. And I would say breathe and be ready to reach out to someone else who might be having a bigger difficulty with all of this than you are. Or reach out to someone else if this transit is too much for you. And you can always reach out to me. I can talk to you. I'll I'll help out if I can. Um, Give me a call or write me an email. I'll talk to you. I'll listen. Okay, so today what I want to be speaking about is the Jupiter retrograde, and it's starting today. Um, I will say that back when Galileo Galilei was observing the planets, way back in 1610, and he was using his telescope, he observed Jupiter and her moons, he observed Saturn, and he didn't know what he was seeing there, and he observed Venus and saw her phases. He also saw the moon. Everything Galileo Galilei saw, everything uh, he observed, is changing phase all at once right now. And this is significant. Yesterday I said that Saturn went retrograde on May 11th, Venus went retrograde on May 12th, and Jupiter goes retrograde today, May 14th. 
We're also going to have a new moon in Gemini on May 22nd, roughly. And that is extremely significant because it's a part of Galileo's observations. It's important to note from our perspective that retrograde planets are closer to us than when they're moving in their normal direction. The new moon is when we can't see the moon, and so the moon is between us and the sun. And all we're seeing is the dark side of the moon. The sun gets to see the full bright side of the moon during a, a new moon, and this is significant as well. We can't reflect on things very well during a new moon. This retrograde period is the beginning of a new step, a new phase. It's something that we haven't seen before. I forgot about the nodes of the moon. They switch signs on May 3rd. Um, the nodes tell us where we're going for now. So the nodes are now in, in Sagittarius and Gemini. And so we're going into um, a Sagittarian area. Ideas, knowledge, self-spirituality, I mean self-spirituality. Uh, what is our educational system giving us? What do we want our educational system? Um, what, let's see here. What is our educational system giving us? What do we want to give back to our educational system? Um, we also have beliefs and dogmatism in Sagittarius, and that's where we're headed. And then Saturn retrogrades, and Saturn's message says, look over there. Saturn is telling us that we've reached a border, a barricade, a border that we've always refused to look at before. And Saturn is there telling us, it's okay, go ahead and look. Put your attention on these borders that you haven't ever examined before. And then Venus comes along and retrogrades. And so does the hail at the house. <laughs> And then Venus comes along in retrogrades, and Venus is telling us, hey, remember, there are two sides to the story here. This may be great for you, but for somebody else, this is horrible. Whatever has been happening, now we're being told that the other, or to find the other story. Listen to those who are telling the other story. Their story has validity. And today we have Jupiter, and Jupiter has the biggest message. Jupiter is a major shaper in all of this. So let's get to the Jupiter energy. We remember from Galileo, um, both the human being and the spaceship, that Jupiter is a system. There are something like 79 moons orbiting around Jupiter. And this to me is amazing. Jupiter is a gas giant, and it has huge storms. Jupiter is layered, and some of the layers are really hot. Others are more insulated, and we can't see from the outside what is happening. And I return to the way that I normally hear people talking about Jupiter. I hear people saying, Jupiter is a lucky planet, that when Jupiter is around, you'll expand. Your opportunities will expand. Your fortunes will increase. Things will become easier. And... That has never been my experience of Jupiter. I always cringe when Jupiter is in my sphere. 
So if Jupiter has always been your good luck planet, you'll have to listen in a new way now. Uh, I've always felt that there is an optical aspect to Jupiter. Jupiter makes you feel like things are bigger because Jupiter brings you in close. There's a, a thing called a dissecting microscope, and I, I think it has around the same magnification as the telescope that Galileo used. When you look through that dissecting microscope, everything that you're looking at is right in front of your eyes. And I remember in college, we'd have to pull the heads off of Drosophila fly larvae. And whenever I would pop one of their heads off, the inside of the larva would gush out and it would look like an explosion. And I would recoil and make a big physical reaction every time. But then I'd look around the room and nothing was actually happening on the grand scale. That, that great big huge explosion that I just saw was really just a tiny little gush. And um, it was all happening in, in my microscope and my, well, in my mind too. And this is Jupiter. We are being brought up really close to what is happening. It's all personal now. When I look at what is going on, I see that we human beings have a tendency to accept things as they are. And this is a great strength, but it also has allowed us to live with things that are not good for us. And technology is one of those things. We always assume that technology is good for us. And we always assume that technology is something that we should be proud of. But I don't see much good to technology. And yes, I know that I'm an old energy on this, but I just don't see much that's good about technology. Um, we get messages about technology every time there's a mer mercury retrograde. People's computers go on the fritz. Technological communications are more difficult. There's a lot happening technology-wise during some mercury retrogrades, and we tend to chalk it all up to the trickster or bad luck or something. But mercury is giving us a message. What are you dependent on? Do you need that dependence? Is there another way to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish? Maybe take the long road instead of the technological road. And then this, the same thing happens sometimes during Uranus transits. And uh, Uranus tends to mess up technological systems too. And we never listen to the Uranian message. We just try and fix the technological system and get on with things. We don't ever pay too much attention to how alienating all this technology and, and the technological change can be. It's hard to keep up. And if you don't keep up, then you're laughed at, told that you don't know anything. The older you get, the more obsolete you get. And that may be one reason that our younger generation or generations do not care too much for the older generations because we throw out the old models every two years or so. And my dad, who is 87, he'll be 88 this year, he spends most of his time troubleshooting his technology. I think his life sounds extremely frustrating and I help him out as much as I can. But at a certain point, it was my dad who was the computer expert way back when and he doesn't really want help from his daughter even if his daughter is 55 years old and knows what she's talking about. He's had to give up his expert title, and he's largely okay with that, it seems to me, but looking at technology as if it's a savior 
or a really fabulous thing leaves my dad out of the out of the story completely. And why do we need to be entertained so much anyway? I have a different answer than you might. Um, and I would say that it's not a good thing that we need to be entertained so much. Um, if we look for entertainment from our technology and not from our others, that's the other thing. Um, the first time I heard my students talking about Netflix and chill, I told them they weren't doing it right. Uh, let's look at everything I've been saying, see what we can find. We have this universe and we are in the universe. We are on a planet that is in a, that is in a solar system and we're all traveling together, all of the planets in this solar system. We're not sure where we're going, but we can look around us and we can see that we are accelerating really fast. We're going quicker and quicker through space. And because we are accelerating, we know that there is a good possibility that we'll end up all alone one day, just our solar system and nobody else. All the other stars and planets will be very far away from us. And right now, when we look out, we can see the other stars around us. We can see the other galaxies and we can see the black holes, which we think are caused by dead stars. The dead stars collapse on themselves and form a gravitational hole through which nothing escapes and other things can get trapped in. And then we have this idea that the universe is a hologram and every hologram I've ever seen has been inside a box. Although the universal hologram theory is more that the universe is a projection, which I would term a belief. In essence, scientists are finding out that our universe exists inside a set of boundaries. And when I hear that, I hear that our universe may exist inside a building, a container. Maybe it's a barn. I see physicists accepting all of this, and I think we should be alarmed. The universe is inside a container? What? Why are we moving along through space very fast? Why are we being separated from everything else in the universe? Who is doing this to us? I'd at least like to ask those questions rather than just accept everything as it is. And then we have evidence of a major event that happened in our solar system. Two planets are knocked on their sides completely, and the two planets are Venus and Uranus. And then Earth is also thought to have collided with something, and the, the collision resulted in the formation of our moon, which is really a piece of Earth. And then we have evidence that the sun is less active than other suns. And scientists can't figure out why, although I also think they haven't given it much thought since the information is still quite new. <clears throat> and then we have evidence that there are asteroids in our asteroid belt in between Mars and Jupiter. Um, these asteroids are from outside our solar system. There aren't many asteroids that are from outside our solar system, but enough, I think the number is something like 19 asteroids that they've found so far that are from outside the solar system. Judging from the number of times that an asteroid has hit the Earth and killed most of the life on Earth, I would say that we might want to investigate which asteroids are killing us. Are they the endemic asteroids, the ones that are a part of the solar system, or are they the asteroids that are from outside the solar system? 
And who is throwing these asteroids at us? That's my question. Especially with the Jupiter retrograde, because it's Jupiter that saves us from most of the asteroid hits. Jupiter takes the hit, and we are left completely unscathed. And this is, this is important somehow. And then we have these things that we call viruses. And the viruses have been around since the beginning of what we would call life. I've heard scientists talking about the primordial soup. And in that soup, it seems there were really large viruses. I don't see any evidence that science, scientists are asking why viruses were in that soup. But they were, and those viruses are still around today. Why is it that we see life as everything with DNA? Why do we see everything without DNA to be something that we can use as a resource, something that we own, something that we pay very little attention to? I would say that the Earth and everything on the Earth is alive, and it's us that defines life in a limited fashion, using DNA as our only consideration. And so we don't really need that DNA in order to consider something to be alive because the DNA comes from the viruses and we have no idea where the viruses come from, nor have we ever asked. This is extremely concerning to me. Why are we ignoring viruses? And then we have this major energetic shift or drive here on Earth. The animals that are dying off are the wild animals and the animals that have been driven into domestication or captivity, whichever you prefer, the captive animals are doing fine. It's the wild animals which cannot live on this planet anymore. Why is that? Why are Earth's children being driven into captivity? What is happening? Who is doing the driving? The most common life form on Earth is the parasite, and I find this astonishing. Not only is the parasite the most common life form, but it has the biggest number of different types of life forms. There are more parasites living on Earth than anything else, anything. And one form of extremely common parasites, the viruses. What the hell is happening? Why are we accepting this without question? Why are we not doing something about this? It's very concerning to me. I read somewhere that one out of every seven human beings ever born has been killed by the tuberculosis bacterium. Add to that the Black Plague, which killed about a third of Europe, and then add to that smallpox, which has been killing humans forever. And you can add to that measles, mumps, malaria, dengue, all of the coronaviruses, all of the herpes viruses and the HIV viruses, and it goes on and on. Disease has always been a huge part of life on Earth, and we've just been ignoring it. And why do I say we've been ignoring it? Listen to all the people that are still comparing the numbers of deaths from the influenza virus each year to the numbers of deaths from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. We should have been paying attention to the influenza virus all this time, too but we didn't. And to say that we didn't and we shouldn't, is not. it doesn't make any sense. And I didn't even mention polio or any of the new viruses that are springing up all over the place. What do we spend our money on? We spend our money on defense. We spend our money on trying to kill other humans. 
But the only humans who are violent are the authoritarian humans, and they are aligning themselves quite closely with the viruses. Why? We need to be asking that question. While we are saying that all these wonderful things about science, and I'm, I'm hearing us say lots of wonderful things about science, I wonder, where would we place human beings, especially authoritarian human beings? How would we classify them? I've never heard much about this. I know I'm saying that humans are parasites, but what would someone else say? Are we predators? Are we herbivores? Do we enter into mutualistic relationships? Do we enter into commensalist relationships? Or do we tend to kill everything that we are in relationship with? We usually consider ourselves to be outside the system, and that is unacceptable to me. Oh, look at that parasite. Look how it attacks the cockroach. I've seen those videos on YouTube. Look at that fish with the nematode in its mouth. Poor fish. When we talk about ourselves, we talk in grand terms. We are smarter than everyone else. We are in control. We can invent anything. We are incredible. Oh, look at that chicken that never touches the ground. Poor chicken. And that pig you're eating was pregnant before she went to market? Why? To make money for the corporation that owned her? We never look at what we're doing, not really. We don't really care. Some of us care, and we yell and we scream, but no one listens. We open refuges. We charge money to go see the animals. Look at the dolphin whose tail was cut off by plastic. Isn't she incredible? What type of parasite cut off her tail and left her for dead? Oh, oh, we did that? Sometimes I hear us blaming ourselves, but there is no energy of blame on Earth either. Rather, we humans were created. We were driven to where we are right now. But we stay where we are only through belief. We stay where we are in hurting the world by believing that we are the good guy. We stay where we are by believing that we're better than the other guy. We stay where we are by believing we have to be the best, by believing we have to defend ourselves, by somehow identifying with the virus. But we should be identifying with our mother, Earth. That's what she's asking right now. Why do we believe we are more like the father? The father's the virus, and I'm not talking human fathers. Human fathers are wonderful, and we need their energy. But humanity, all of us, we identify with this thing that we call our father, and we need to realize that we are much, much more like the mother. Our bodies and our souls are from Mother Earth. So examining our belief, that is the way to start our journey to healing. I'm not sure that we really understand where we came from. And so I want to go over a little bit of our history as human beings. We started out as the most vulnerable animal ever born. We're always wondering how we're different from other animals. And here we are. We are more vulnerable than any other animal or plant or bacteria or anything. We have no way to defend ourselves. We have no way to hunt other animals or even to eat plants without cooking them because we are too weak. We can't see very well, and we can't hear very well, and we can't smell very well. 
but we're so intelligent, you say. That's what makes us different. Well, we have no real idea of intelligence because we base our intelligence on the ability to think abstractly. Thinking abstractly is pie-in-the-sky thinking. So we're probably the only animal that thinks pie-in-the-sky kind of thoughts. Uh, we're probably the only animal that solves pie-in-the-sky kinds of problems. But our ability to solve pie-in-the-sky problems does not necessarily make us more intelligent than other animals. I've lived with a bird, and she was extremely intelligent. She knew everything about me, and she just didn't care about pie-in-the-sky problems. All she wanted was to be around me. And I'm going to leave the belief that humans are the most intelligent animal around. I'm going to leave that belief where it is. I'm not even going to draw close to it. But I do want to look at our early life. We started out probably as scavengers, and I don't see any other way that we were except to be scavengers. We were too, and we are, too vulnerable. We do have a superpower, however, so to speak. Um, other animals, they practice skills when, only when they're young, and then when they become mature adults, they stop practicing. We humans practice all the time. We actually like practicing. And we started out practicing hunting. First, we ran herds off of cliffs. And then we used the dead animals at the bottom of the cliff for food and clothing. And then we learned how to hunt in groups, kind of like dogs hunt. And I'll bet we, we learned how to hunt from dogs. And at that point, we were able to hunt our meat and to search for plants to eat. And we moved around just like many other animals do. And then we learned how to take grasses and plant them and then harvest them. We became farmers. But in the process, the grasses became domesticated. And we lived this way for a long time. And we domesticated other plants as well. And as we grew the grains, uh, we made bread and alcohol and we lived a good life. But then we started becoming more numerous, and that's when our problems started. Uh, we have this structure of keeping control of the predators amongst us, and it, it functioned really well in small groups. Um, we had to do this because predators tend to be fairly dangerous beings. And so the power structure, power structure began to form around the predators, and everybody else in society was something of a possession of the predators. There were wives, children, and animals. And the men were in charge of all of these, and they could do whatever they wanted to with any of these, because they were possessions. But then we started having fights with other groups, or we started being conquered by others, and the idea of an enemy came in. And you combine that enemy with pests that were around our stored grains, and you begin to see that the enemy pest designation allowed men to kill or destroy. And then when the conquering started, the conquerors started arriving, um, it was the first time that men had become the possessions of other men because it was the conquerors who were in charge. And um, I see that the conquerors probably came in around the, the first cr uh, Fertile Crescent 
eastern Mediterranean area. And then they moved out of that area and into Europe, where they stayed for 1,200 years. 1,200 years of conquerors is a lot of years. And Europe followed the 1,200 years of being conquered with 500 years of domination and control. Kings ruled the area, or religious groups ruled, and one religious group would often attack another. And then all of that opened up and the conqueror traveled across the ocean to a new land and the conqueror took that land. And by that time, the indigenous European had forgotten all about being indigenous themselves. All the European knew was how to be a conqueror. Two groups of Europeans took that land, one Spanish and one English. The English conquerors, they ended up forming the United States, and before that happened, both the Spanish and the English conquerors, as well as a few Portuguese, they figured out how to buy people that were stolen from another land completely. And they, they bought those stolen people, and they put them to work perpetually in these new countries, and they called these stolen people slaves. And this was a giant leap in parasitism for human beings. And eventually we got rid of the system of owning human beings, but we didn't do a very good job of getting rid of the system. And I think mostly because we didn't even know what we were getting rid of. Uh, but now we can look and we can see what really needs to happen. How do we really get rid of this system of owning other human beings? Because as long as humans continue to participate in the parasitic system of power and control, we really are participating in evil. In essence, we have believed ourselves into a corner and we don't know how to get out of the corner. We're being given a way to get out of this corner. We're being given a chance to examine our collective beliefs and what belief does this group hold? Well, we're seeing one of the beliefs that the group holds. We're, we're being asked to move into that energy. The belief is that African-Americans are violent. The belief is that when African-Americans are in a location, that they lower the value of that location. The belief that white people have the right to drive African-Americans around and out to tell them where they need to go where they need to be, we must begin to turn our attention to this energy. We must begin to focus our gaze directly on and into the energy of racism. And racism is a part of the larger milieu of parasitism. White people have been benefiting from African Americans for hundreds of years and African-Americans have experienced nothing but hardship and death throughout this time. This is parasitism, no doubt about it. And before the United States can move anywhere, including out of isolation, we must examine this energy. I hear the calls to examine this energy from African-Americans all the time, but when I look around, I see many white people just simply living their lives as if nothing else is going on. Look at that restaurant that just opened up on Mother's Day. The owner of that restaurant is really struggling, and so she decided that she could do whatever she wanted to. And then she opened up the restaurant, and the other people who are really struggling with the stay-at-home orders, 
they began to flow into the restaurant. I've seen the videos. Uh, I don't see a single mask in there. And, you know, uh, I know the masks don't completely work, uh, even if they work a little bit. But at least with a mask, we know you're trying to keep from passing the virus. But no masks were in that restaurant. And this has become a line drawn in the sand recently. <clears throat> I see a bunch of pink faces. I don't see other faces, just pink faces inside that restaurant. Contrast that video with the other videos that we've been seeing. On April 12th, 2018, a little over two years ago, there was a video that was put up on YouTube about two real estate agents who were waiting for someone inside a Starbucks coffee shop. The manager of the shop allegedly called police who arrived at the store and arrested the two men. According to my memory, this was the first in a series of videos, uh, but it was just one in a series of videos that had been, uh, it was sort of in the middle of a bunch. So um, the videos that came before the two real estate agents were of, of male African-American men being shot. And the videos that came after the real estate agents were asked to leave or were arrested were white women calling uh, the police. So the, um, it was the first and the last in a series of videos, let's say. Um, and as I mentioned, it, the, the murder of African-American men has been going on for centuries, but we've only just begun to be able to see it. So these first videos of men being murdered, they uh, started out, I think Trayvon Martin was one of the first. Um, he was shot by a man after he had walked to a convenience store for some dessert items. Trayvon Martin was shot on February 26th, 2012. And the man who shot Trayvon claimed that he shot him in self-defense. And that seems to be the ultimate outcome of the case in court. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess, um, well, this Trayvon Martin didn't come out well in, in court, but um, as I spoke ill of modern technology, it is nice that we can see exactly what's happening where before it would have only been hearsay what had happened and a bunch of people would not have believed uh, at all what is happening. So we can see them. We can see things that were invisible before. Um, if we move from Trayvon's video, there was a young, a young boy named Tamir Rice. He was shot by police soon after they arrived at the playground where Tamir was playing all by himself. And this shooting happened on November 22nd, 2014. So the real estate agents arrest on April 12th, 2018. That's uh, four years, basically. We saw huge numbers of African-American men being shot in between or during those four years. One was a social worker who was sitting in the road next to his client who was having a breakdown. And the police surrounded the two and they ended up shooting the African-American social worker and not the client, even though it was the client who was causing the trouble. That video was uploaded somewhere around July 26th, 2016. 
Um, all right, so then we started seeing white women calling the cops. We started seeing them after uh, April 12th, 2018. Um, we had one white woman who was calling the co um, she called the cops on African-Americans who were out and about in public. One uh, family was having a barbecue in a park. Um, I think there was a woman at a, um, a public swimming pool. It might have been a man. It was a woman calling, I think, about a man. Um, the woman who called about the family that was having a barbecue in the park, at the end of the video, you can see her. She's, she's crying up a storm and claiming that people were being mean to her. Uh, even though by then she should have realized, um, even as a most insulated white person, she, she should have realized from watching all the other videos on YouTube that if you call the cops on black people, it often results in their death. Um, I don't know, it was, it, it was an instructive series of videos, um, at least for white people, I know. Other people were had known of this before, but um, when I look at the Constitution's birth chart, and then I put the twenty second of November, twenty fourteen, as the transit date, um, I see that Pluto is entering a conjunct with the natal asteroid Eris for the Constitution, and Eris is the asteroid of angry people, people who have been wronged by the system, and Pluto is coming into conjunct with that. So following that transit, I see that Pluto makes a direct pass over the Eris asteroid on April 26, 2018. So from 2014 to 2018, she moved right on top of Eris. And on that date, Mars was also sitting right on top of Pluto, both at 21 degrees of Capricorn. Um, there was also a near exact conjunction between transiting Neptune and Pisces and the constitution Saturn and Sun, both of them at 15 degrees Pisces. The midheaven for the constitution is not far off from any of that. Uh, from the exact con conjunction, the midheaven is at 11 degrees Pisces. Two years later, which is today, Pluto is three degrees past Eris. Pluto is currently retrograde at almost 25 degrees Capricorn, and it is moving backwards towards the Eris asteroid once again. And on October 4th, 2020, when Pluto stations direct, it will be stationing at 22 degrees Capricorn. This is going back almost all the way to the exact conjunction with the Eris asteroid. And coming in from the other side, of Eris is the Wuhan asteroid at that time. And the Wuhan asteroid is going to be almost exactly conjunct with Eris at 20 degrees Capricorn, 20 degrees 59 minutes Capricorn. Essentially this natal Eris, the, uh, the angry people, the people who have been wronged, um, that energy is gonna be waged or wedged between Pluto and Wuhan. And I would say that this is like being stuck between a rock and a hard place. 
Pluto is transformation. And a Wuhan is the pattern of clamping down. Wuhan is the response to the crisis, both on a governmental level and on an individual level, because the individuals in China reacted to the governmental shutdown, just as the individuals in this country are reacting to the governmental shutdown. <clears throat> and actually, people in every single country that the virus has touched have all reacted to the governmental shutdowns. This is the Wuhan energy. This was the pattern set out by China when the novel coronavirus was discovered back in January. We have a lot of work to do before October, before Pluto goes, uh, gets out of its retrograde. And we can do it the hard way, or we can do it the easier way. And the easier way is to work with our beliefs. And here I'm talking mainly to white people. Uh, white people, we hold a set of beliefs that have never been examined. And we hold these beliefs very tightly, even though we don't understand them very well. And these beliefs most often cause white people to remain outside of whatever's happening. And I'm saying this because I see that white people do not usually align themselves with other people. They quite often align themselves with the power structure. And so this is the belief that we're going to have to be examining. We need to understand why we like to align ourselves with the power structure over the group. Remember, the Constitution is a contract that gives power to the people. That is, if we take it. Instead, the people give their power to the power structure. And this is another belief that we will be examining during this time. And so that's enough for today. If you need to give me a call, 720-308-0609 um, or email me governmentalastrology at gmail.com. As always, I'm glad you're here.